and welcome to Mono Rants, the only boys rewatch podcast that still doesn't know how to make one episode just be one episode. I'm one of your hosts and jack of all trades, Mono, and with me is my co-host and master of none, Kira. Yes. Yes, you are, Kira. Yes. <laughs> Say hello, Kira. Hello. So, as promised today, we're going to have a bit of a chat about season three again with our good friend Anna. But before we jump into that, we have various feedback from friends and other podcasts and whatnot on Twitter. Yeah. Just in terms of where they think the show is going to be going, their thoughts. Yeah, what they enjoyed about season three. Yeah, what things we've like. missed. Some things we've missed. Some yeah. some agreed with us, some yeah. disagreed with us. But we'll jump straight in with probably one of our first boys moots on Twitter. That being Steph or Homelander's hot bitch. Yes. And she had this to say. I think season three was a lot better than season two. I really think the show upped their game for this season, especially with the cameos of Charlize Theron. I love the new cast who were introduced. I like the story of season three with episodes five and six being the peak episodes. I understand why people say the finale fell a bit flat, but I think we need to look at it and all seasons as a whole story. However, I do think Queen Maeve should have been killed off as it would have made the finale a little bit more substantial. Black Nora definitely deserved a better death, but I think this is just the start of the story for him and he's not dead. I'm looking forward to season four and I hope there's no leaks or spoilers this time around. And finally, Anthony's acting was superb this season and he deserves at least an Emmy nomination. And I have to definitely agree with Steph on that last point of the Emmy nomination. Yes, it was very, very sad when the Emmy nominations came out and uh, we realised the boys had... Missed the window. Yeah, yeah. so that'll be in consideration <laughs> next year. They got a nom for a Diabolical. Yes. But, yeah, no, they, and, But they were aware of that and had some nice trolling ready yeah the same with the the vault plus and the oscars and oh yeah the, the soupies the, the soupies <laughs> yeah um so they were they were well prepared for that no i can't remember what was said at the very I, start because i have no uh, brain she particularly liked episodes five and six uh she thinks mave should have been killed off whereas no i, I, I like mave's ending i think mave really out of all of them, kind of deserved a little bit of a happily ever after. Yeah, I think we've always been fond of Maeve on the show. Yeah. And I think given everything that we said about A-Train, that's obviously where where we sit in that camp of the, the A-Train should have died camp. A-Train should have died. I just can't see what they're going to do with the character, given the personality that has been portrayed on screen. Yeah, but I am firmly with her on the I don't think we're done with Black Noir camp. I want a kind of homage to Spinal Taps drummers with Black Noir. No, I would love to see like a Black Noir of the week where they all keep, every person they put in the suit dies in a new, weird and wonderful way. Like one one dies in combat, Homelander kills one, one falls off a cliff, one has a fucking peanut allergy. Like ironically. <laughs> well, we already had that one. Yeah, no, but like no, one, one does one something. one doesn't have a peanut allergy but chokes on, on an Adam Joy. Joy. Yeah, like something stupid like that. And just the way the Spinal Tap drummers all kept dying like there's yeah, this shed explosion make him the show's Kenny no because just Kenny for this by, season no the character no, is the Kenny but yeah. I would love to see like just different ones oh yeah it's a different nameless soup they throw in the suit and gets killed by the end of each episode culminating with them going oh, fuck we're gonna have to just bring back the real Black Noir aren't or, we or maybe a couple that maybe while they're trialling new soups in it and they all just die in weird and wonderful ways oh that's how you get very, to, to trial to get on the 7 you have to wear the suit and if and you if can you survive, survive wearing the suit you can come on the 7 as whatever as your actual you superhero yeah, you are I just, I just I'm hankering <laughs> for a montage of stupid bizarre deaths 
Yeah, no, that that's would be what, fun. I have a real hankering for that, and that would be a really, really fun way to get like a load of hilarious gore in there. And, and Kripke has said that they are it, they're going to have fun with the character, and it's going to be hilarious. That, I just so, are you kidding me? I that just, would be awesome. I want a death montage. That would be awesome. Mars. Yeah. No, definitely. But um, yeah, thank you, Steph, for that. If for nothing else, I mean, great feedback as well. But if for nothing else, then inspiring that uh, Northern. black black nor theory in, in us. <laughs> I just, I just think like if you're gonna be putting different soups in the soup, it is one's gonna like piss off Homelander. He's gonna put his fist to their mouth. I just, I just love the idea of the incompetency killing them. Mm. The kind of like you know, cocktails. All just yes, yeah, die. no, that would that would be a good one. All right. Then after that, we heard from longtime friend of the podcast and podcaster himself, Plenty from Hundred Things Pod. And if you don't know him, you probably don't listen to podcasts. Yeah, if you if, <laughs> if you listen <laughs> to podcasts, you know Plenty. Of, oh. And if you don't know Plenty, go and check out Plenty. I know I we talked about Hundred Things that, we learned in film and yeah, we do we do movies as well. But um, go and listen to a professional do movie reviews. Uh, him and John are just fantastic. They cover all sorts of movies. And they're hilarious, and you will learn things. Yes. And Plenty himself was a guest on one of our Modern Rants at the Movies episodes, The Guard, and yes. we had a blast recording <laughs> with him. Unfortunately, we couldn't get him on air today, but he sent in some of his own thoughts when I badgered him enough. <laughs> no, well, basically, you sent him a list of questions. I just, yeah, I just, specific questions. I just directly asked him a bunch of questions. He's <laughs> his way. And, and he came back telling us that he, too, wasn't overly fond of little Nina. He thought that she was like a 50s Batman comic gangster boss with no depth and she barely existed as a character. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's about right. I've given it up from that she's very, very one-dimensional and it really annoyed me. Yeah, um, he agreed with us about A-Train. He thinks that it would have been a, a fitting end to have him lying dead beside the racist the Italian soup. The only thing, sorry, I just realised, the only thing I think that they can do with him in season four is some sort of reconciliation between him and Nate and maybe something like him doing a massive amount of like charity work. Yeah, but I mean, I would have more or less no interest in watching that story. Yeah. I don't know. I still, yeah, we still can't figure it. And uh, yeah, Plenty is on on the uh, A train. Should have stayed dead. Yeah. Camp as well. But one thing that he had brought up that I hadn't really considered was he said he felt there was little or no powers or gore apart from kind of once an episode in the first three episodes. And he said he was very much left wanting for for more of that that boys gore and that boys mm. action. And yeah, it wasn't back powers about it, yeah, heavy. it wasn't a really powers heavy season. Like, okay, so season one, you've obviously got the introduction of all of them. So you had very first thing you see is Maeve going through an armoured car. Mm. And then Homelander showing up and throwing your man into the air and he lands on the car. Yeah. Which always fun. Followed by a train running through Robin. Yeah. But I think I think he's actually hit on something there. I think there was a lot more superheroes this season. But there was actually a lot, especially if you think about season two. Well, there was one like big showpiece in episode. So episode one, you've got termite exploding out of that guy, which still, sorry. (laughs) There's something about the way he explodes out of that guy and the way that torso goes onto that bed that just makes me, I can feel it in me waters. But given that was (laughs) 10, 15 minutes into the first episode. Yeah. Yeah, there, there actually, yeah, there wasn't, and especially and then season two. Him in the baggie of cocaine. Season two, you had all the head explosions, and you had all the various powers at Sage Grove. You had all yeah. the stuff with Kimiko's brother. Stormfront's powers were shown an awful lot. 
Whereas this season, trying to think of... Now, I understand there was a certain amount of scaling back that had to be done because mm. they were filming during COVID. True. So coordination with the likes of VFX and stuff like that would have been slightly more complicated, especially if you're filming in different countries and you've got production <coughs> and set in other places, depending on how restrictions were at the time. <laughs> yeah. I, I can kind of give allowances for it not being so gore-heavy given that, you know, pandemic, we're lucky we had a season at all. True, true. And I'm just hoping that next season they might just turn it up a notch. Crank, I think it, for such, crank it up a little bit, yeah. I think for such a story-heavy season, shoehorning more gore in there would have just been gratuitous. Um. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I, I'm always happy to, to see more gore when it's done right, and this is a show that can do gore right yeah. 99% of yeah. the time. Yeah, no, that's a fair point, Plenty. Um, one of the things that he said that I think I disagree with him on, though, is Black Noir got the shittiest end of any soup, which I do agree with, but we've been waiting for him to be a character, and he just was not. Good episode covering his history, though. Yeah, no, I enjoyed his history, but no, I think he has been a character. Um, He's been a character that's been hard to get a read of, definitely. <laughs> But he has shown up. He's shown more personality than fucking little Nina did. That's for sure. For a mute character. I think... Nathan Mitchell played, like, for the just portray- the physical embodiment of noir. Yeah. And the ability to make that soulless mask look angry, quizzical. Mm. The way, I like, I know I, also LJ for the way that helmet is shaped. Yeah. It's fantastic when it's like bang on staring at people. Yeah. It's very intimidating. But I think he has. He does have a lot of character. I can see, and I've ha- I've seen other people say similar, but I think we, we definitely have a soft spot for Black Noir. Oh, I love Noir. Uh, and any kind of backstory that we got that filled it in, we were like, yeah, that all tracks, that fits. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it worked for us. But I mean, they, there are, as I said, I've seen a few other people with that. And hey, at least Planty's takes aren't as bad as those fuckwits over on Reddit. Oh, God. <laughs> so I have to disagree with you there, Planty. But otherwise, thanks for the, the input, man. And for everybody who hasn't listened to Planty's podcast, go and listen to 100 Things We Learned From Film. Over on, on Boy's Twitter, we had uh, Homelander's Gimp ask us about the possibility of Homelander becoming president and whether he might try and build his own army and, and become a tyrant with Ryan by his side. If he was gonna go whole global domination, he he would have gone along with Stormfront. True. Yeah. When I she's think... that whole wonderful conversation of we all lead an army of Ubermensch. No. Yeah. Yes. No. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm the Superman. That's the whole <laughs> the point. point. Yeah. He he does want to rule the world, but he wants to rule it through like adoration. He wants to have people like worship him. He's looking to become more of a godlike figure than a tyrant. Yeah, no, I think when he said to Star like that, you know, if they released the Flight 37 video and he'd go... Oh, he was going to burn the world down? He'd burn the world down and he'd, he'd control it through fear, but he'd prefer it through love. I think there was definitely some bluffing there. I think if, if absolutely forced to, he might go down that route. But I think he'd still prefer to, to have it through love and adoration, definitely. And he's going to get that now, particularly with the Storm Chasers. Yeah, now, that thing that he said to A-Train in the last episode about how when he goes out there, he's going to say that we are, you know, we are the law and we are justice and we are absolute. That I am the law. <laughs> Sorry, I can't. I can't hear I am the law without fucking Judge Dredd. I know. But that that <laughs> makes me think that they might approach something like the, the coup plotline from the comics. It wouldn't facilitate him at the moment to go after Newman and 
Um, no, not at the moment. But that might they might they be leading towards that? Um, I'm not 100 percent sure, but we'll see uh, how much I'm of an influence he manages because he's very much got Newman in his pocket. He there will be a certain amount of influence extended to like from him. Well, yeah, they seem to be working together now. But I think I'll be I'll be more interested to see how how things go with his public and and how far like we've seen now that they're more or less okay with him killing people extrajudicially in the middle of the day in the street. So how far are they are they willing to let him take it? Oh, they're gonna let him go you know? all the way up the steps and into Congress. Probably, yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. yeah. I don't. I don't think we'll get President Homelander, but there's very possible that he might flirt with some kind of similar idea. I, I don't. I don't, think, I don't, far, think, I don't think he'll take it quite that far with, though. With President, though, I think if it's going to be. If he's going to go that route, it's going to be total and it's going to be global. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think he'd be happy just with America. No. So <laughs> if he does go that way, it'll, yeah. it, the, the, first it'll be the US and then it will be the world. Yeah, definitely. And then to Florida or to California for a Satsuma. <laughs> Fuhrer loves a Satsuma. And Reed, that's or F-E-R-G 26 on Twitter. Has asked us going into season four, how will any work with the boys? Will it last? Will Butcher be too annoyed with it? How can the boys use her as an asset? And I feel like Kimiko and Annie would be a great duo. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about how we love seeing Kimiko and Annie together. Mm. No, I haven't actually really put any thought into how she'll interact in the day-to-day of the boys. Mm. Well, considering she's by far the most useful asset they have, She's she's far more proactive <laughs> yeah, and than I, I any think of the rest of them are. I, I don't think it will be an issue of whether or not Butcher will get annoyed with it. I think it will be whether or not the rest of the gang tolerate Butcher back with them. And if, <laughs> and if Butcher is back with them, it's Annie and MM who have been on the side of, you know, good and righteous actions and drawing yeah. lines. Huey's now back on their side. Sort of. More or less. Huey at the moment is on a seesaw of emotion. Oh, yeah, but I think he's 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 on the upswing now and he's back to being sensible, Huey. Yeah, I know, but apparently it doesn't take very much to topple him. Well, I mean, if he falls again, he fucking deserves it. If he That's falls all again, say. and he's not going to fucking catch him. Yeah, I think I think with with that now, the <clears throat> the moral compass within the boys will skew more towards righteous action than. Mm. Than means justifies the ends that that Billy uses. So I think Billy, though being Billy, is going to continue being a shady arsehole. Oh, definitely and having schemes on the go behind him. Yeah, you know whether or not he actually now that he's been given this prognosis. The question is, once he gets the information he's after, yeah, is he going to stay put or is he going to take off on his own? Mm. Is this going to be them working together or them either trying to prevent him doing something catastrophic? Or them possibly trying to work towards the same end goal, but he's going to shaft them. Uh, yeah, it'll it'll probably be the, the latter, where, where he ends Are up they, with shafting them and yeah. making them think that he's working with them the whole yeah. time. And then, ha ha, no. But, he, but that's Butcher. Yeah. We have come to he could do it. is take him out for dinner first. <laughs> yes. So, Vought Productions, uh, not affiliated with the show, just the Twitter handle, got in touch with us as well to say that they loved Annie and Huey's arc this season. It was good to see them go through drama and have actual fights, but not break up. They feel endgame to me now, and the final scene with MM screamed marriage foreshadowing. Just the way they looked into each other's eyes, and 
held each other's hands and then MM mentioning a double knot I felt like was a reference to tying the knot. Annie's arc was outstanding this season. I got everything I've ever wanted from her character within one season. Overall, very satisfied with season three. Don't know about the marriage thing. No, <laughs> but the, it, it, that was more a comment of it's a historic building with historic trash chutes. <laughs> yeah, you can't. That just, get blocked up quite easily. You can't just, you can't throw just trash down there. Yeah, like fucking shoes. As to the marriage point, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if this is the show that does that does weddings. No. I mean, love stories fine interpersonal drama and relationships fine I I just I can't picture a boy's wedding I don't know it's kind of that weird American thing of you meet this person and you love them and then you get married and then you move in together because that's not the way to do it like they um, don't well she's going to have to live with them now so this is going to be hilarious uh, yeah <laughs> wait are they all going to live in MMs because I'm pretty sure Huey doesn't have that apartment anymore no, well, that's the other thing is that Vic knows that they all know and they are still working in the Flatiron. So, are they but... still technically working? Well, she was probably damn Huey hasn't quit, so Oh no, hang on. I just she's copped. also gone off now to be do the presidential campaign. Yeah. Which means Huey might be getting a promotion. No, I, I doubt she'll let him stay around the FBSA, but no, what I reckon it'll, it'll actually be will be... Mallory's keeping them in. Mallory, Victoria. yeah, Mallory knows. and, and Mallory's going to be head of the FSPV. The FBSA. That. Cons- well, considering Mallory was... The whole thing was that Newman was going to throw Mallory money to run the boys. Yeah. Now that she knows that Vic's a soup, she's probably going to want the boys out there more than ever before. So I'd say yeah. she will probably be funding them if Billy's not attached. <laughs> Well, she, they've definitely been funding, I don't know who's been funding um, where Ryan was hiding out because that was the military. No, that was probably still the, the, the CIA. Yeah. And now she's watching over Soldier Boy. Every now and again, just spitting on him. So one of our one of our last fellow boys fans from Twitter got a bit of a mention last episode in the green cooler coming up with BCL. Um, oh, had, yeah. had and some, it just makes sense. That's Big Chess Laser. Big yeah, Chess Laser. I was like, of course it's Big Fucking Chess Laser. If it was BFCL, it would have made, uh, we probably would have gotten it faster. <laughs> yeah, if it was Big Fucking Chess Laser. <laughs> but um, if that was you, Green Cooler, well done on that one. Yeah. Green Cooler is a fan account for Supernatural. He yes. is the cooler of brotherly love and a very eloquent cooler at that because he had the following to say. My favourite bit of the season was Frenchie and M.M. having that conversation with each other towards the end. Frenchie clearly has his own stuff going on, and M.M. spotted that as soon as he walked in the door. And often their relationship has seemed more about keeping Frenchie on task. But Marvin needed his friend, and Frenchie was entirely present for that conversation. And it wasn't just a conversation about the greater scheme of things, Soldier Boy and Revenge, which is a conversation he'd been able to have with Annie. It's a conversation about his daughter. In a season about toxic masculinity, to have two dudes having such a frank emotional conversation was heartening. And to cap it with, get back on the Lexapro. For dudes to know what your antidepressant friend is taking is intimacy. As much as these two dudes have issues with each other, that one statement sort of shows how much M.M. has already let Frenchie into his world. So, yeah, I, 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 I don't think I have anything to add no, to that, except for, that I agree. that scene is beautiful, that scene is incredibly important. Yeah. Um, you knew watching that, that there were people out in the world that needed to hear that. Yeah. And I really, really hope that that reaches everybody that it needs to reach. Especially for a character as strong as M.M. to admit weakness. Yeah. And it not to be perceived in ridicule or in the very Irish way, three sheets to the wind. Um, yeah. yeah. Let's <laughs> just drink our problems away. Yeah. To have it be a serious, honest, open conversation from a place of love 
Yeah. Was so beautiful to watch and it was just filmed and just handled so well. Yeah, no, um, thanks for that, Cooler. It is <laughs> just remarkably eloquent of you. Mm-hmm. And if anybody wants to have chats about the boys or Supernatural on Twitter, that is an account to follow. I've had some great chats with him about mostly the boys, but also occasionally Supernatural related stuff. Oh, did you ask him who's got, uh, who, who's the worst father? Oh, I did try and goad him into shit posting about John Winchester the other day, but he wasn't having it he didn't uh. he didn't he didn't take the bait he didn't take the bait <laughs> speaking of shit posters shit poster extraordinaire and other fellow podcaster deadbeat punk from what the fuck do you want pod got yeah. in contact with us he has been a fellow todd hater throughout the season oh. and another fantastic indie podcaster he gets people different podcasters and different guests on every week and asks them what the fuck they want and occasionally their wishes are granted Sometimes it's a bit of a monkey's paw-ish wish type thing, though. It's a little bit Room 101. Um, it's like Room 101, but in reverse. Yeah. It's what do you want instead of what do you want to get rid of. Yeah. But uh, no, he's, a, he's a, a great dude and a great podcast. Really, really entertaining. And just look up What the Fuck Do You On Pod or WTFDYW. And Punk <laughs> had to say that the first thing that struck him when the season wrapped was that I was instantly craving whatever was next. The series had a few issues, but in the grand scheme of things, I was left primed. Nice pun there. And excited for what comes next. Todd's a... <laughs> Sorry. Todd's a homunculus constructed from used toilet paper and ejaculate. <laughs> so, so Butcher started off this season brilliantly. His relationship with Ryan stepping into line as much as he was able to and learning to treat the rest of the team with what passes for respect. I think that made it harder to watch his path down the line of addiction and destruction. He was so close to actually being happy and he threw it all away, losing Ryan and adding another psychotic soup to the mix by the finale. Todd's a cunt. The focus on Butcher's remaining time is something I'm looking forward to. Desperation is a key drive for people like him. The shining star of the season has to be Mother's Milk. I got an erection when he sparked out Todd. <laughs> he, he had such a genuine arc during this series, touching on a multitude of mental health issues without the air of pantomime most shows rely on. For a show that kicked off with an exploding piss pipe, I think it's safe to say that I wasn't expecting a multi-angle view on toxic masculinity. Much of what we would see from Huey, who was a prime example of that old nugget of wisdom, only weak men fear strong women. Huey was a right prick in this series, and just because he didn't take that last dose and finally helped Annie in that last scene, I don't feel that was enough for his redemption. Still not as much of a prick as Todd, though. One thing that stuck out was the swift deaths of the series. Stormfront was just out of scene. Supersonic left out like a bag of rubbish. Black Norse snuffed out after a lot of character develop- development one episode earlier. And somebody I thought would have been in full swing during the last battle. Now, I was geared up for the last battle. And I was under the impression it was going to be a lot more fatal than what we actually got. Todd should have been eviscerated by some broken glass, the prick. But once the credits were rolling, while I was entertained, I did feel it was just a little bit weak. It just wrapped up a bit too neatly for what I would expect from the boys. Not enough to go online and pick fights with virgins, though. I have good faith that my issues will be addressed going forward. I just wanted to see Black Nora kick seven shades of shite out of Soldier Boy. Simmering away in the background, we have that political field. I feels like the Russian-American relations is something that could spice up the adult side of the story. Especially as Stormfront, Homelander, Starlight camps of radicals are starting to get a bit more radical. Edgar has to step back in at some stage. Victoria and her V-infused daughter too. Todd having a prolapsed anus. Surely Todd is a prolapsed anus. <laughs> the future is promising and this series has shown they're not running out of steam. Proving they're not just a crude comedy. I'm ready for more the sooner the better. Todd probably dresses up as Homelander and has a strangle wank when he thinks nobody else is in the house. <laughs> Keep up the great work, Monorans, Deadbeat Punk. Todd is a walking abortion. 
I'm sorry, a strangle wank. No. I... <laughs> Autoerotic asphyxiation is an embarrassing death. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> yes. That's yes, uh, uh, David Carradine discovered. Oh, you've you, you said that a number of times. Yeah, that's podcast. because it is an embarrassing death. And by fuck, I am I am glad now if I wasn't already that we decided to make because this a two parter. <laughs> <laughs> embarrassing death, people. Yeah. But thanks for that, Punk. That was uh, a hell of a lot of feedback and well worth the wait. He sent it in about two seconds before we hit record today. (laughs) Better late than never. Exactly. Better late than never. I don't know if I'm going to go through that one point by point because fuck me, it took long enough to read out, buddy. Definitely, you're bang on as much, just as much bang on as the green cooler was about MM's act this season. Uh, he, yeah, everything to do with MM, so important. Pay attention, be more like MM and be less like Homelander and Soldier Boy and Butcher. Yeah. He bang on about Butcher as well. It was seeing him at the start of the season with Ryan and how good he was at Ryan just oh. made it so much harder oh. to watch when he pushed him towards Especially Homelander. Especially the very final rejection where I know Ryan essentially saved their lives. Mm. But the way he's like, oh no, dad, I need to go. We need to go. I want to get out of here. Even though Butcher shielded him, it's not enough. Yeah. He walks, he goes, runs straight past him to Homelander. And that, I think that final rejection of him willfully going. Yeah. That hurt Butcher. Oh, yeah. That cut deep and you could see that. Yeah. And I I saw some people say that. Maybe considered they might be able to repair the situation up until that point no I think I think there's going to have to be something from the other side now to push him back towards Butcher I don't think Butcher can do anything unless Homelander or somebody on Homelander's side does something wrong and pushes him back towards yeah yeah that one's definitely going to be interesting and I can see I there does seem to be an awful lot of kind of not disappointment around the finale but just it was a lot of people just do. a bit in yeah. terms of what people were I don't even know what people are expecting I'm not I think it was just that there was no real death in it you know Soldier Boy gets wrapped up and put back in a box Maeve dies but doesn't and nobody believes Black Nora is actually dead yeah <laughs> and yeah and, and poor Al Alex died halfway through the season yeah and Stormfront bit off her own tongue and swallowed it and choked to death on it yeah those were yeah they were a bit those ones were swift and then the ones that we thought the Stormfront one kind of made sense that it was off screen for for the impact that the news of it has on Homelander on Homelander yeah that one made sense for being off screen and then the news footage of her being shown of the gurney being taken out of the Seven Tower yeah. for he's like oh you're my birthday rescue and then cue spiraling rant yeah. poor girl becomes pudding uh, oh that was a great rant the only man in the sky rant oh, yeah good but yeah, Punk, thank you very much for the essay that you sent in to us. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely well worth the wait. And that about wraps up our feedback side of things for today. And other than that, we had a lovely little chat with another good Twitter mood of ours, Anna Butchers Canary, who I mentioned in the last episode, came on and was kind enough to have this chat with us. So, Kara, it's not just some people writing in and, and tweeting at us today. We actually have a guest for a change. I know, the mon- mon- wonders of modern technology. Yes. so We joining- got it working. Yeah, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, joining us from across the pond today is our Twitter friend, Anna, or Butcher's Canary. Hey, guys. So, thanks for joining us today, Anna. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, well, I mean, I think if anybody was going to join us on the show today, somebody who did their dissertation on the boys is probably... <laughs> Sorry, what now? Did you not know that? No, because I, I don't pay attention to things. <laughs> yeah, no. And I did her dissertation on the voice. 
fuck off. I can't remember the title. Perhaps you'll enlighten us. I did. I did it about masculinity as a trauma response, which in ah. hindsight feels very infuriating because it was about season one and season two, and then season oh, three no. happened. <laughs> So I have I have an umbrage with Eric. Oh, I was going to say that. I was like, I, I had a feeling it was something to do with masculinity. And I was like, I wonder, was that You can do an amendment before? to your dissertation. I do. I have a bone to pick with Eric Kripke about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you go back to do a master's, you know what to extend it into. Hey, just, just build upon that. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Come on. If I if I write 20,000 words on it, the doctrine of grace, which doesn't actually fucking exist. It's a philosophical concept. You can let's, probably get another dissertation out of season three. Yeah, let's not go into your theological dissertation. <laughs> we will, we will. <laughs> That's a conversation for another time. Oh, yeah. Another time in another podcast, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Love to hear it. But actually, on that line, how did season three fit, did you find, given what you had kind of written in your dissertation? Yeah, I mean... Did it track? It did. Um, not really with my analysis of Huey. Because a lot of what I wrote about Huey in terms of his psyche and reaction to trauma was that he resisted that masculinity because he still had very strong feminine traits and connections in his life through his relationship with Annie and the absent mother figure. He still was very sort of feminine in his behavior. But I think season three took him in a direction that I really didn't expect which I very much enjoyed, but an unexpected direction. I can see why you'd have a bone to pick with Crippy after that. (laughs) (laughs) After everything I wrote. My whole argument being like, (laughs) Butcher and Huey are on opposite ends of the spectrum. And then he's like, here's season three. And I'm like, oh crap. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, we spent most of season three just like screaming at Huey at the screen, just being like, no, why why are you doing this, Huey? Very valid. And it was actually, it was something we didn't touch upon too much when we were recording earlier in our season wrap. We just kind of mentioned Huey and Annie's relationship Mm. tangentially, probably because we waffled on about it so much during the the rest of the season. (laughs) (laughs) Season wrap, we we do attempt to be succinct in that. Uh, Yeah, yeah. But (laughs) it was a little bit shorter than the rest of the episodes. But yeah, no, their their relationship was hard to watch this season. Yeah. Strained. It was very, definitely very strange. I, I think it was very uncomfortable because of how real it was. I think they've always been a fairly idealized couple of what sort of hope and happiness can look like within that setting and, and within any sort of relationship. So to see it get messy and have them have disagreements, not just within their own bubble, but like moral disagreements and political and cultural disagreements, I found really interesting. Yeah, to actually get into the kind of the nitty gritty of the relationship as opposed to just the more surface stuff. Because even in season two, mm. their issues in season two were around kind of Annie not feeling safe and not being able to feel safe with Huey because of the danger around her as opposed to anything within their relationship. So it was nice to get that depth, even if we were perhaps angry about yeah. <laughs> the direction it took. Definitely. Well, season two, they're basically reworking the foundations of their relationship because it had been almost entirely based on lies. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot of trust to be gained back there on the side of Huey, which he's just gone and thrown all out the window. (laughs) At the start of season three, they're sort of on an equal playing field, you know, especially in the first episode at the start. They're very happy. They're very honest with each other. So I think it's interesting to see what their dynamic was like when there was the absence of lies momentarily before Huey started spouting bullshit again. But there was a mm-hmm. there was a period where they were being transparent with each other, which I think was really interesting. Oh, when he was living his Patrick Bateman life. 
Yeah, so we were, with his Peloton and stuff. Yeah, we were calling him Patrick J- Bateman Jr. in episode one. I think, the, <laughs> I think the Peloton was the red flag that we didn't pick up on. The Smoothie King, the Peloton. We should have seen the makings of a somewhat villain there and then. Yeah, and and to your point, even when when Huey does start to go down a different path in the season, he he starts making decisions without Starlight and then telling her after the fact mm-hmm. and pretending as if that's honesty. Yeah, but I'm telling you. I, I'm telling you that I've already done oh, this thing. Oh, she calls him out for that as well because she's like, oh, you're, you're, you want Brady points for not lying to me. Yeah. She's very, very clear on that. She's like, telling me after the fact is still lying to me. <laughs> it's just, just as bad. Doing the bare minimum in a relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. And as to say, some of the other characters where what would some of your favourite bits have been of the season? I really, really love Newman as a character and I wish she had been used slightly more, but every time she was on screen, I enjoyed it. I think Claudia Dumas is a great actress and I think that's how you pronounce her surname. I'm so sorry if I've got so many offense. Oh, you are asking the wrong podcast. <laughs> we have pronounced everybody's name wrong at some point. Yeah, we're terrible. We are terrible. I actually, and we insist on covering foreign language films as well, which just makes it oh, great. even worse. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I... <laughs> Although we did have the director of one film say that we got close to pronouncing his name correctly. Yes. Close is good. <laughs> so take, close is better than yeah. way off, which is where I find myself. I take that as a win. Absolutely. But yeah, Cla- Claudia Dumit's great. And yeah, I do feel she was a bit underused this season, but I suppose there was an awful lot going on. Absolutely. There was a lot going on. I liked, we did get to see her kind of past with Edgar as well. Yeah, that, I was really happy that got fleshed out. Yes, every time her and John Carlo are on screen together, I know I'm in for a good time. I think they're both great. Um, mm. I think it's one of those things with the boys that I find that every sort of umbrage I have with moments of it, I can justify, which I find infuriating, in that I think Newman was, <laughs> Newman was underused, but the whole point was the audience and the characters took their eye off her so she could work her way up for that vice president ticket. But saying that, I just uh, I wish she was more instrumental going forward. And I think she will be, considering it feels like they've geared up for the next season to be about that presidential run. Yeah, definitely. I think she's very, very different to how Vic the Veep is portrayed in the comic books because mm. he, he Wild. is like, <laughs> he's, a, he's a gibbering idiot. Yeah. Like, wearing my dicky hat. Um, yeah, no, he's in the, hero the, he, so he's the worst of all the American presidential candidates' roles. Oh, he one. was like, well, pre Trump, obviously. Yeah, because <laughs> he was basically just W when W was the worst we'd ever had. Yeah. Like, yeah. to see. I really thoroughly enjoyed her interaction with Starlight. Yes. Oh, the scene where she. Hero has an episode. When she reveals, she's like, oh, he thinks I'm going to pop his head. So well played out, that whole scene. Oh. And the nosebleed. Oh, the nosebleed the was beautiful. Shot. Yeah, that was so excellent. Good. But it was very much, that's how girls fight with each other as well. Yeah. It's like, we're friends, but not really. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I know you know this thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it's that sort of like the threat without like explicitly saying it, all subtext, all like, don't fuck with me kind of vibe, which I enjoyed. <laughs> Yes. No, she is. She's very fun. I'm glad she came back. I know you were very sad about the loss of Rainer, but I think. Yeah, yeah I did. I, did. I, I held that against her for quite a while. I That was my biggest irks in season two was that they got rid of Rainer so early on. I love Rainer. Yeah, I agree 100%. She was just great. And I think I had said in our season two wrap, had they done something like, uh, have you read the comics, Anna? I have, yeah. Uh, I was saying, had they introduced Monkey in season two, we could have had <laughs> oh. him. 
we could have had Monkey for an episode or two and then say be him the go between between Rainer and the boys and have his head get exploded. And then we could have had some Rainer and Grace interaction in season two. Oh, don't tease me. Get get you in the writer's room right now. Get you in the writer's room. Because oh, well, you should... a bit late, unfortunately. <laughs> we worked out an entire way to remove little Nina from season three and can keep the story <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's what Little Nina was probably one of our least liked characters of season three. How did you feel about her? Again, how do I word this? <laughs> don't don't say underused anyway. <laughs> yeah, I take a shot every time you say underused or more screen time. No, it's the opposite. We we really we thought she came back too much. That was our problem with her. Okay. I found it very one dimensional. I agree with that. I think it's because. I, I loved seeing more of Frenchie's backstory. I loved getting more time with that character. Absolutely. But I never felt I never felt like we spent enough time with him. It was sort of like these things are happening on the side and we do want to develop Frenchie, but actually our main focus is Soldier Boy, Huey and Butcher. And I'm not going to complain about that because those two are my favourite characters. But then what I found is that every time we returned to little Nina and Frenchie and Cherie and Kamiko's sort of entanglement, I felt like it was, things were happening and I wasn't connected to it because I hadn't felt threatened by little Nina or I hadn't, we hadn't spent time with Cherie apart from those two scenes. Oh yeah, it was one of the, little Nina was a character that we saw a fair amount of, but I don't think we like got to know if that makes sense, the, dif- the differentiation between those two mm. things. Yeah, we I think we were saying in, in the Herogasm episode was when we got really kind of annoyed with her and we said it was one of the few times that the show was guilty of telling us rather than showing us. Absolutely. They're normally great at showing us why somebody is the way they are, but all we were we were really only told little Nina mm. is terrifying. Yeah. Also, you pointed out that Cherie, that was awful sloppy of Cherie. Why does Frenchie buy that story? Yeah. Because up until that point, she had always been kind of the more put together one. She's the one he had turned to for advice. Mm -hmm. It seems unlike her to be sloppy on such a big bust for somebody who they fear. Yeah. Yeah. So greatly as well. I I just think Cherie's such a great character and... It was sort of frustrating. She's underused. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we can we can use the word underused for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Because she's just, A, I think the actress is brilliant. Um, Jordana, she just has these incredible eyes that say, you know how the whole show not tell, she shows so much with her eyes, which I'm always impressed by. But with Cherie, I feel like she is one of the few female characters on this show that just feels like she's there to serve solely Frenchie's purpose and I understand that because she's a minor character and there are always minor characters that serve major characters but given that she just pops back in to further that without like you said showing anything she just says the exposition that we need I do I do take slight umbrage with that one (laughs) yeah I think it was it was just a little bit sloppy on the show's behalf there was the risk of of us there was like shoehorning there was a lot yeah. of shoehorning done this mm. season. Of they knew what points they wanted to hit, but how they got to those points was a bit. Yeah, I still into think the wilderness. More episodes. Give us more episodes. Yeah. Not a huge, not not twenty two or anything, two but more like maybe ten episodes a, a season. Lot of storylines. Exactly. This was the first season, and my flatmate and I were talking about this because I'm the lunatic that stays up to one a.m. to watch it, and then I rewatch it with him later in the day. And whenever I rewatch it with Brad, I get a better perspective on it because he's slightly more detached from it than I am. So I know that I have a sort of 
emotional bias over it because I enjoy it so much. Um, but we were discussing how, for the first time, this season felt like it should have been 10 episodes because there was so much going on. And because there was so much going on, a lot of characters and threads got sidelined. And so when those emotional beats come into play, they don't hit as hard because they haven't been developed like they have been in the past. Uh, definitely. I don't think there's anything I could add to that. You, no. <laughs> you worded that rather eloquently. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's that's the case for more episodes right there. Yes. And also showing less stuff in the trailers, please. Thank you. I have major issues with that. I would have loved to have seen that Butcher was on Compound V in the trailer in terms of his strength, but I do think the laser reveal was pretty massive. And I'm it definitely got me hyped for the season, but then during like the gunpowder fight scene, you're like, oh my god, he's on Compound V, he's bulletproof, he can fucking whack him. Then when the lasers kicked in, that would have been such a moment, I think, if we hadn't known about that. The biggest thing I think they spoiled for themselves was Soldier Boy in the modern day. Yes. Because I suppose I got real, real annoyed about this. I lost my absolute mind when we saw Jamie in Russia. Jamie the hamster. Yes, you did. I Yeah, no, delighted. <laughs> best best moment of the season for me was Jamie the hamster. <laughs> but I should have been that excited for them opening the tube. Yes. But I knew it was coming and I was like, oh yeah, there he is. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Not, oh my God, he's alive. Oh my God, what is that? Yeah. He's the weapon, yeah. And I think the whole time then that we were, when we were watching, like when Maeve comes in and starts talking about BCL Red at the end of the first episode mm. and, and hints that it's a weapon that might have killed Soldier Boy, we as the audience knew, oh, well. That's his big chest blast. That's what, what it, it is actually, Soldier yeah. Boy, yeah, because we've seen him in the trailer. Yeah, 100%. And I suppose... <laughs> we're just not we said we're just not not going to watch the trailers next season in case something like that happens again that's a pretty good idea it's it's hard because it's getting the hype up for the show Mm. but also not revealing too much and i do think that's a common thing nowadays with all trailers whether it be tv shows and films so much is revealed and one thing i did enjoy was for the most part the trailer only really used footage from early on in the season yeah because i i got to the episode four i think it was and i was like I think we've seen most of the trailer, so now we're completely in the dark. But no, I think I think that's a fair point about Soldier Boy. The only thing that was in further was the cow. Yeah, oh, a bit of Kimiko's dancing, I think. Yeah, and the the cow that again was really awkwardly shoehorned in there. Yeah, we 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 said in the, in the episode seven record that we just had that bit with the cow. As fun as it was, was just a little bit too late in the season. It felt like it had been ages since they'd done anything milk related. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> milk related. No, I agree. I think if because season three is my least favorite season of the boys. That being said, it's still of a quality that I think is brilliant. Oh, totally. Uh, like we still loved it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, me too. But it is my least favorite season, and I think that is because. For the first time, I felt like the balance between style and substance was not equal. It felt quite self-indulgent in parts, um, like the Homelander milking scene, like the deep sex jokes, the musical sequence, the animated sequence, all of which I sort of enjoyed on a audience fun level. Mm. But I've never, in the past two seasons, I've never questioned whether a moment is furthering the story because it's always driving the plot forward. Whereas with this, I was like, is this for shits and gigs? I don't mind that it is, but it doesn't feel like it's 
serving anything at the moment. Yeah, I think this was the first season where I had a, a couple of moments like that where as I was watching and taking notes, I was actively thinking things like that, like, oh, that's a that's a choice. I wonder why they made that. Whereas normally I'm just kind of mm. wrapped up in it as I'm taking notes and just taking notes about what's happening as opposed to maybe why they decided to have that happen. Absolutely. The animated sequence of Black Noir, I actually felt that that was kind of one of the only one of those breakaway ones that worked really, really well. I love that, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that it was his safe space and those were his friends and I adored that and I'm actually really glad that was animated because I don't think I could have dealt with watching that live action. No. <laughs> no. When they're re- recounting the whole story, that I felt made sense. I didn't really understand Kimiko's little song breaks. <laughs> If they'd been framed better, we had a big issue with with the musical number. No, well, I, that we didn't quite know where it started. Oh, yeah, where, where the reality the started and where the dream started. Yeah, where the dreams. Yeah, I get you. I should I should just put it out there straight away that I'm I don't really like musicals. Period. Point blank. So oh I really, yeah. I really don't like musicals when they're in. Te- like you know how um like a musical episode has become quite a big thing in television recently. Mm-hmm. Um, with a lot of shows, and I thankfully until now none of the oh, shows. Oh, I'm gonna start ranting about Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> thankfully, I don't watch that, but I've heard I've heard the horror stories for fans who watch that. Greg Berlanti, who does all the DC development for TV ones, for yeah. CW, so he worked on Riverdale and um, oh, the Arrowverse stuff, the Arrowverse and Sabrina, the Grim Adventure or the, uh, the, the whatever it's called, the Sabrina TV show. And the entire last, I'm currently watching my way through the last season of Riverdale. Uh, there's been about four musical numbers every single episode. Oh god! Oh god! <laughs> yeah, no, that's not that's not my cup of tea. I got to say that. The episode that I was watching earlier had a very very bad version of uh, "It's All Coming Back to Me Now" by Celine Dion. Oh dear! Yeah, god. it's so easy to so, butcher that song. <laughs> it, is, it is really badly butchered. They didn't key it From down experience. for the girl singing it, oh, so god. she's she's struggling to hit it. Oh um, no, bless! I was glad it was only the one song because. When I saw the, the the hashtag of the boys musical, I was like, "Oh, it better not be like a whole musical episode." I don't think I can handle that. I personally would love to see Carl Urban doing "Start Spreading the News," New York, New York. I think that would save the show. <laughs> because I think that they did. I know Kripke wasn't involved in season of Supernatural when they did the musical episode. Oh, the um, yeah. the two hundredth episode or whatever it was. Yeah. And I think that was done really well. The premise of that was done mm. really well. But mm. in something like the universe of the boys, unless it had been like Starlight's dance review, I don't think it would have fitted in. And I had, oh no, don't, the Crimson Crown test review, which I thought would be USO show, line of dancers, big fancy thing. Not just a one woman show. Not just a one woman ballad. <laughs> That was that maybe would have been where the musical episode was would have been like this big kind of nineteen like fifties yeah. style extravaganza. Yeah. For the story that they were telling, not yeah. her on her own. It's better than Chimps Don't Cry. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird because I see the motivation to do it and I love that Kamiko is into musicals and that's her escapism. I personally for me the musical sequence was not to my taste. It was when I watched it twice, once in the morning and once with my flatmate later on, we just sort of looked at each other and we were like, okay, that happened. And then we moved on. And I I think they did marketing very well that week because they took your eye off the ball in terms of some of the other major plot points that happened because they just made it about that five minute musical sequence. But 
yeah, it it wasn't it wasn't for me. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree with you there. Um, I was glad it was short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you you were dreading it being the entire episode. Oh. Yeah, I was really not looking forward to that one. Yeah, I would have really sh- I would have struggled if it was an hour. No, I loved the little interludes that they had put in with Jensen Ackles with with the Soldier Boy records. Yes. Oh, that was great. Gold was brilliant. That really made me laugh. Oh. Oh, solid gold, and then what was um, the yeah, calypso? Make a uh, never make a pretty woman your wife. No, oh. <laughs> just a little sample. Oh, My EP is so dropping soon. <laughs> <laughs> and then Miles, your 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 darling Miles Gaston, and um, License to Drive, which is now my new ringtone. Banger, absolute banger. <laughs> <laughs> But like they have actually put in, and I will say License Drive is stupidly catchy. Whoever wrote that, I think it's the same. Christopher Leonard is a genius. I've ranted about it quite a lot Mm. on my Twitter, but I've always thought his, the season one and season two soundtracks are brilliant. This season, I've really been like, damn, he's good. Because the range that he's had to do, the sort of 80s Red Thunder theme, the Captain America-esque America's hero Thing. And the songwriting is pretty good. Oh, it's um, excellent. He's he's done a phenomenal job this season. But I think yeah. I just love the superhero swell that deflates. Yes. <laughs> yes. I absolutely love that. And that was, I think, that was a very early in like episode two, I think, when the Deep comes to see Homelander and he thinks it's a meeting and he walks into oh, the yeah. sevens room and there's a big swell and he it's just him and Homelander. Yeah. And it, wow. Oh. Brilliant. I love the returning motif of that's the gunpowder fight scene, the sort of butcher on V theme, the repeated sort of thudding and guitar. I think that's been in my head whenever I walk to the shops or something. It makes me feel 10 times badass than I am. Oh, it has. It's been, Tesco. it's been a phenomenal season of, of, of music and scoring. Absolutely. Mm. Which is what bothers me about the musical episode is because all these other little musical interludes that they've thrown in there, whether it be the stuff on the TV or Laurie Holden belting her little heart out, they've all worked in it mm-hmm. until you get to the musical episode. <laughs> yeah. I, There's sort of an irony in that. Yeah. Nah. Because you get yeah. when she's singing and uh, particularly for Crimson Countess when she's doing her show and you get to see Kimiko being so excited about it. And when she goes to meet her, she's actually genuinely happy to meet her. I mean, like, oh, I love your music. You know, mm-hmm. never mind the fact that we're here to interrogate you. <laughs> I'm going to spend like two minutes just fangirling. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. That's a really good point. And there's a sort of sad irony in there. I think it's one of those things where I like, I understood why it happened, but it just didn't quite click for me. Yeah, it's, but I, the other musical segments I thought were really good. And I loved seeing the TNT TV show flashback. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. The musical number was something, something. <laughs> it, it was, it was. But I suppose it would be remiss of us to bring you on and not let you talk about Billy Butcher. <laughs> I love that that's the brand. I, I appreciate that. Oh, it absolutely is. <laughs> yeah, my. I, I think I can firmly say my favourite fictional character of all time now. And that's a bold claim, but I think he's earned that status. I, I've seen your Twitter. I'd say that's fair to say. <laughs> But um, he tried his hardest to make us not like him this season, though. <laughs> it's it's interesting you say that because my flatmate and I have had actual domestic fights over the boys before. <laughs> Screaming matches. It's all with love and laughing at ourselves as we do it. But he hated Billy from season one to season two. 
firmly his one of his least favorite characters on the show but season three he really liked him which i was massively surprised by because he thought that season three humanized him more um i can see i can see why with the amount of backstory and stuff that we get and you can actually see him agonize over things this season i Mm -hmm. suppose i can see why you'd come how you could come to that point of view yeah. But I suppose you had Becca last season to humanise him. Yeah, and Huey's kind yeah. of been his little canary as well. Yeah. So it'll be interesting yeah. now to have him confront himself when he, when Mindstorm, Mindstorm, Mindstorm? Mindstorm. Mindstorm. Yes. When he whoops and fucks about in his head mm. and he has to do a lot of soul searching after that for the, the fact that every time he tries to protect somebody, he kind of fails them. Yeah. Yeah, that's a team. It's definitely the team. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and you do wonder, I think it's one of those things where that was a very accurate analysis from his mind's version of Lenny, you know, when he was like, everyone you love dies. So it's then how many people do you put at risk by allowing them into your life and caring for them? Because statistically, something awful is going to happen to them. Yeah, and it's the balance of how bad are the things that he wants to do yeah (laughs) and does he you know does he need somebody around to keep him in line that he then has to risk their life like he does with Huey and had done with Lenny absolutely I think it's it was nailed on the head by Huey in the last episode when he said like in the shittiest way possible you did the right thing and I think that's what Butcher as a character really grapples with is knowing what's right and knowing what's wrong but that obsession and burning hatred for Homelander and Vought is overpowering, totally dictates his life. I think he sees himself as a figure of free will when actually, in a weird way, he is as enslaved to that company as the general public are. Oh, yeah. And it's it's one of the things that I love about the show over the comics, particularly last season and then with Lenny this season, that you have Butcher being actively confronted with the worst of himself mm-hmm. by Becca last season and then by Lenny in the flashbacks this season. Yeah. So you don't really get anything like that in the comics except for a little bit of like honesty at the very end just before he, he kind of finishes his mission. Yeah. But other than that, he never he never really looks inward at himself, whereas he's forced to here by Lenny and last season by Becca. Absolutely. And I like that they do that with him. One of my favourite scenes from season two was when Becca decides to leave him and doesn't go with him and doesn't take Ryan with her. Because like you said, she says, no, you were always one day away from pounding someone to death in parking lot. You have always had this anger within you. And now you just have something and someone to project it onto to justify it. And I think Lenny said the same thing this season and Huey and Annie's always had a very sort of clear analysis of what she thinks he is as a person yeah no it, it it's just ah, every time they, they, they make a change from the comics i just love the direction where they go with it whether it's plots or characters but with billy they've really yeah really I, made it more nuanced absolutely. honestly i think for the next two seasons because i'm still convinced it's going to be a five season run mm-hmm. i think now that he has a finite amount of time Mm. he is going to go full comics butcher which i'm really excited for that is my that's my kind of everything's gonna go out the window all the morals everything he has learned this year <laughs> last year is going out the window and he is going full frank castle punisher on everybody yeah which i i i love because for me i i this sounds so bad 
I hate happy endings when they don't make sense. Yeah. So with tone, tonally with this show and just the very nature of the source material, if it's Tweety Birds and Disney logos at the end, I'll be really angry about it because it doesn't make sense. And without spoiling it for people who haven't read the comics, I, ju- I want that comic book ending so badly. Just for this, like the scale of it. I do and I don't. I kind of, I kind of, you know, the only (laughs) from the comics, I actually think won't survive. I think they'll flip it. And the person who survives in the comics won't survive. And those who don't quite make it, well, I'm hoping make it. That might just be wishful thinking. But yeah, I think I think they're going that route. That's interesting. Now this is like every time you play Mass Effect, Morden has to die. (laughs) I don't want Morden to die. I'm currently playing Mass Effect for the first time as a side note, so I'm oh. very excited about that. Oh, oh j- try, uh, try to forget what we just said then. I'm yeah. very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, my brother has pretty much spoiled everything. Also, have great oh, fun in the it. face creator. I, I, I create all of Niall's characters because I try and make them as horribly grotesque as possible because then he forgets. <laughs> And takes the helmet off and is in a conversation cutscene and has to look at it. Yeah, basically, my cur- my current shepherd is basically looks like John Waters. Yeah, I that was not intentional. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. But um, yeah, I think... So I read the comics because I got into the show and there was a massive hiatus and I wanted to sort of know what the source material was like. And I didn't enjoy it, truthfully. The comics aren't for me. I think Garth Ennis, the way he writes, um, it is like, I would have it the same with Preacher. I enjoy them and I enjoy the storyline, but it wouldn't be something I would go running back to. He did, he doesn't write a great female character for one thing. Mm-hmm. And it, he is, you've pointed out a couple of times that he's very edgelord. He's a bit edgelordy. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I think you've nailed it on the head there because the issue I had with the comics was every trope and... Oh, Queen Maeve in the comics is horrendous. Yeah, every trope and issue it tried to critique, it actually fell into the trap of doing. Whereas with the show, I feel like they criticise a lot, but for the most part, not always, for the most part, they managed to stay out of falling into those pitfalls. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's... It, it's... As an adaption, uh, I pretty much have to agree with all the choices they've made, where they've strayed from the plots and and the tone. The characters that they gender flipped in mm. season one were incredibly important. Mm. Oh yeah, all the gender and, flips have been really important. In particular, Stillwell because Stillwell is very much Madeline Stillwell. a corporate suit who just appears every now and again mm-hmm. in the comic books. So to make her a very strong pivotal character who controls the most powerful suit in the world was fantastic to see. I love Elizabeth Shue so much. Oh. I miss her on this show. Yeah. No. Oh, she was Jeez. amazing. It was a shame she had to go as well. Yeah. As, well, the second he killed Doppelganger, we weren't going to get her again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every time her and Anthony Starr are on screen together, it's just like giddy excitement on my end. I was just, they're electric together. Their scenes together were absolutely phenomenal. Well, we've gotten to see Teddy. Yeah. I, I find very briefly, and I hope that wasn't, the end. I mean, I hope that wasn't like, oh no, he does exist. We haven't forgotten about him. Because I think that could be a really interesting plot line. Yeah. No, um, once we realised it was Teddy Stillwell, because she says it's such a short little interaction. Mm. She just says, Teddy Stillwell, we don't teleport. And we were like, oh, of course Madeline would give her. Yeah. 
why wouldn't the VP of the company not have a soup baby? Yeah. yeah. And we were saying, also, we were saying at the time, That's why in the hell would Homelander have saved the baby that he hated? He hated that baby. Oh, he hated that baby so much. <laughs> but that explains how Teddy got a, was found. It's like, like 17 miles down the road or something yeah, like that. Quite yeah, quite a distance away. It's like, oh, he can teleport. <laughs> Jump further than Huey ever did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Huey's never tried because in fairness, the first time Huey jumps in Russia that we see... He could have run there in the same amount of time it took him to teleport there. Yeah. It's true. So with the exception of him grabbing Annie and grabbing Mindstorm, his teleporting powers have been absolutely useless. Yeah. Fairly limited. <laughs> but I think between everything we've chatted about, Anna, and everything we chatted earlier, we've probably wrung the season dry. But are there any other last bits you'd like to, to chime in on or predictions you have for season four? I think we mentioned it earlier about Butcher just going bad shit in season four, but what I'll be really interested to see is whether he does that on Compound V or not. Yes. Because I think they made a point of showing us that there was still a, vi- a full vial of V in the boys' possession after Kamiko was given her powers back. And I think that that decision, whether he's on V or whether he's off V, will significantly affect the dynamic of the show. Because it just elevates his power on one thing, but also it's then, again, further isolating him from MM and Annie and all the people who don't think those powers should exist, point period blank. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Butcher try and take it and justify it as an attempt to save his life. But To save his life, absolutely, to cure. But Well, he does have, um, you know, the brain cheese. <laughs> but knowing, knowing the show, it would be rather hilarious if... Uh, it gave him superpowers, but didn't save his brain. I honestly, and we had I a still, a still torture running around with yeah, superpowers. No, I actually think that's the way they're going to go. Is he's going to take it to complete his mission, but it's going to irreparably damage his brain. Further, irreparably damage. damage his brain. <laughs> yeah, he's got some head leakage going on. I do think that that's the route he's going to go, and he's going to justify it by, well, you know, I'm on my way out anyway. I may as well take as many of them down as I can. May as well, yeah. It becomes the whole suicide mission, yeah. I wonder if he reconciled with his father now that he too is also terminal. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think he might, he might kill his father. That's out of the question. <laughs> I, do, I do love that parallel. I do love the way they've really established that Butcher is taking after his father, even though he hates it, and Huey is very much Lenny, which then again, without spoilers, I think leans into the comic book trajectory yeah no and i think the conversation he had with mave when they were drinking is very much to set up that final kind of storyline yeah oh, well i think you should all die that one yeah yeah i reckon that'll be i think that'll be a, if, if it is a five season run season four will be dealing with vic and ryan yep. and homelander and then season five will be everything everything to fan. do with butcher I think I think they've definitely set up the fact that Butcher is isolated from the boys now. I think even when we see them interact in season four, there's going to be that distance and tension between them still. So now you have Homelander, Vault, including the Seven, the boys minus Butcher, and then Butcher out on his own, which I think is an interesting sort of full party battle going on. Yeah, no, I can't wait. And unfortunately, it's going to be, what, at least a year? <laughs> Minimum, yeah. A year to 18 months. I'm I'm just hoping that we get a second season of Diabolical in between. Yeah. To give us some nice little some- tasties. I would love if they did Frenchie's story about the baguette jousting. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. that. Um, I would also love to see Jamie's day out in Russia. Yeah. <laughs> 
after yes. he after he leaves his little skull house. Yeah, because yeah, Jamie's still loose in Russia somewhere. Yeah, I know. I love it. I love yeah. the fact that there was a flying V-powered hamster just booting it around Russia. <laughs> I, speaking of diabolical, I would love for Odie to come into the live action series. And I would love if it was still Kieran Culkin because... He's such a great actor and he voiced him so well. I, that would be... I just want a whole animated series in, in the I'm Your Pusher universe from... Yeah. Like, that was such a good episode. I love I'm Your Pusher, actually, because it did bring in the... It was a lot of the drugs that you see getting used in Herogasm that are caught with really bizarre things like Homelander likes his cocaine cut with adrenaline. <laughs> yeah, that was... That was very uh, much where they get much. all the, the, the Herogasm nods in for that one. Yeah. But yeah, if we're lucky, we'll get Diabolical Season 2. And if we're very lucky, we might get Varsity yeah. end of 2022, start of 23. Jazz Sinclair and Chance Per demo are just are the main reason I'm going to be watching it. <laughs> well, it's boys-related it's boys content. No, That's I the main have, reason I'll yeah. be watching it. Yeah, and I'd love for them to keep up with the 7-on-7 seven seven Cameron Coleman. Yes, <laughs> Cameron's great. Cameron is great. I just love him. He's so funny. And I would honestly, I'd love love an office style spin-off with just ashley because i think colby is a gift to this world and i've loved ashley this season oh we, ashley, we were saying Annika, seth, and evan. seth and evan are fantastic the two from mark and i'd evan. watch i'd watch a season of just seth and evan going around to different superheroes <gasps> telling them what they're uh different you know, backstories what, what you're doing today and what what brand you're taking oh. part in <laughs> although poor poor seth during that really really terrible a train oh. pitch when he's trying to disappear into oh, the sofa it's like please don't just don't even look at the me when she goes is that a video game about the slave trade gets me no i do um oh. yeah i think like even a, like a little mini series or a web uh, of just behind the scenes at vault tower i'd love it to be that yeah, well, documentary the office style with just yeah. um, like them turning to the camera whenever a superhero says something to them and just being like oh but can you imagine an interview with that poor woman who was in the elevator with noir oh my god <laughs> therapy that woman needs oh yeah and then it cuts to like an office style like one-on-one where she's just like he just handed me it. <laughs> yeah. that would be what am i supposed uh, to the do pos- the possibility let me cover my dry cleaning bill <laughs> <laughs> the possibilities are endless yeah but i think we'll have to call it somewhere because otherwise we will just keep talking endlessly we will and, and there's cats outside staring at me so Anna, thanks a million for joining us it was an absolute delight to have you on thank you so much and uh, i think after the chat we had today we'll have to have you back for season four when it rolls around i would be honored thank you very much thanks a million Anna, and we'll talk to you soon bye-bye see you soon guys take care so guys, I think that finally, finally, finally wraps things up for Monoran's coverage of season three of The Boys. Yeah. Hopefully we might get Diabolical season two, or if not, you will probably hear from us guys. Well, actually, no. We might get Gen V first. Well, that's what I was going to say. If not, Gen V will be when you hear from us next. We might get Gen V first. We've just had a cast announcement and teasers yeah. in the last week. Yeah. Very excited about it. Really, I, I'm i going to hold my hand up. I'm a huge teen drama fan. I was going to say, you're far more of a teen I am drama. so excited about this because I love 
over the top teen dramas I watched the shit out of the Vampire Diaries and Gossip Girl and Pretty Little Liars I know all yeah, of you them. watch all that trash and it, if it does that but with the boys universe I will just be so fucking happy if I didn't watch the boys and somebody explained the Gen V show to me I'd be like no, I don't care that it's got superpowers. I'm not watching a teen drama. It's a teen drama with superheroes. But yeah, yeah. I'm hoping this will be a superhero boys, one with some drama and not so much the other way around. Yeah, no, I'd say I'd say it probably will lean more into interpersonal relationships and that kind of drama because it's a teen. Do you remember? Well, it's college show. It's varsity. But I, do you remember the X Men cartoon? from the really early 200s, the one with like Kitty Pride and stuff. The in early it. 200s. The early 2000s. We're not that old. No. Uh, um, that would have been X-Men Evolution. Yes. And I Chris think... Judge was Magneto in that. Fuck off, was he? Yeah, Chris Judge was, I need to go was back Magneto and watch in that. that. Oh, there, was a, there was a shit ton of, of uh, Stargate actors did voices in that. Yeah. No, a... but you remember the whole vibe of that? Like they were in high school and it was, you know, them learning their powers and I think it's going to be kind of that but in college. And with, with the boys' sensibilities. And with no, the I am. I'm excited. I am excited about it. The fact and that it's I a teen can't... drama only turns me off a little bit so long as they don't can't... do musical stuff as well. No, I really hope they don't. Um, no honestly and I can't wait to find out who's going to be Godalkin because I reckon he's going to be the Dean yeah they're going to have to put Godalkin in there I don't I think, know if they'll make him the full on pedo that he was in the comics no, but they're going to have to put him he, in there I think he's going to be the Dean and he's either going to be like a Dean Vernon from Animal House style yeah. Dean or he's just going to be completely maniacal yeah but we'll, we'll keep our G-Men or sorry Gen V predictions <laughs> Until well, oh, I know, yeah, but we'll keep our predictions for that until a little bit further down the line. We yes. might might pop back in for a short episode when we know a little bit more about season four and a little bit more about varsity. But that's your lot from us, certainly about the boys. Until we hear more about the boys. In the meantime, guys, if you want, we will be back over at Mono Rants on the movies in a week or two. We have sixteen, seventeen episodes about our favorite movies up there, and you can go back and check out all our previous episodes on seasons one, two, and three of the boys. If you want to come and chat with us, you can find us on Twitter at Rants Mono. You can find us on Instagram at MonoRants underscore the underscore boys. Or you can send your own rants to MonoRantsPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We are Science Fiction Remnant. This is the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. We are the Caribbean Science Fiction Network. We are MonoRants. We are One Chord Level 2 Podcast. This is Sci-Fi.